The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. All right. Hi, everyone. So we have another guest here today, and I'm going to let Dr. Jen Hull introduce herself. Hi, everybody. So my name is Dr. Jennifer Hull, and I'm a dentist, military wife, and a mom to a wonderful seven and five-year-old who keep me incredibly busy. I'm an older dentist. I graduated from Baylor College of Dentistry, which is now Texas A&M College of Dentistry back in 2012. And um, so I've been practicing for 10 years. Recently, though, I did go back and I finished my master's from the Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin, Hookham, and that was back in 2021. And currently, I practice in San Antonio, Texas at Sunshine Pediatric Dentistry, and I'm also studying finance at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. I will say that a majority of my time is spent working on my startup company because I'm a co-founder and president of Root Medical Translation, which is a medical translation software that enables speech-to-speech interactions between healthcare workers and patients. When I'm not working, I basically play chauffeur to my kids for their sports. We also really love to travel. One of the things we do is I have a big passion for visiting all the 63 national parks before my kids graduate from high school. So we spend a lot of time hiking and in RVs and just kind of being off the grid, which is, which is really fun. Wow. You have a lot of impressive things that you're involved in. You're managing a lot on your plate. So I'm excited to kind of unpack some of that. And I thought we could first start off with talking about your work as a pediatric dentist and at what point of dental school or pre-dental, like when did you know you wanted to specialize and what was your process like for that? That's a great question. So I think my journey was a little different. I got engaged my second year to a military guy who was in um, medical school at the time. And so we really didn't know where we were going to live. We were both graduating at the same time. So luckily my husband got stationed in San Antonio, which is where I'm from to start his residency. So I kind of came out and I worked as a general dentist in a very, very small town at a family practice setting. So it was literally everything from six months to, I think my oldest was 104, which was, which was fun. So if you would have asked me in school, if I wanted to spend my days only seeing kids, I probably would have laughed. That was not something that I ever planned or wanted to do. Just not my jam, but it was about two years, I would say into my practice that I was kind of like, you know, this is really fun because it's just not dentistry. There's a lot more that goes into it. And so looking back for the last eight years, it's been really fulfilling on like a lot of levels because pedo allows for a variety of clinical problems you get to work with special needs patients, which I adore conversations with young and old. But I think the coolest thing is the challenge of connecting with the kids and gaining their trust. And I think that was what really intrigued me because dentistry does get a little day to day where it's not challenging on the clinical aspect. And so getting their trust is by far the favorite thing. I mean, you have a couple minutes to read their behavior and I really enjoyed kind of figuring out and navigating that water. And so Watching the kids grow up has been really cool. I realized this year that the babies that I first saw those few years in that when they were six months old for their first visit are now starting kinder. And so it's really, really cool to kind of be in a small part of their life. They're excited to see me. 
it's fun to work in the neighborhood where you live. I see them at the pool. I see them at the grocery store. And it's just a really unique part of the specialty. And there's really never a day that I regret limiting my scope of practice. I was concerned about that, taking everything off the plate and like, what if I don't like it? Um, but even on the worst of days with the kids that you're just like, ah, it's really easy to find joy. And I've been really, really professionally fulfilled with pedo for sure. That's awesome. So you did your dental school at Baylor, you Baylor. said, and then where did you go for the pediatrics? So I did. So what happened, I did not do a residency. Okay. So, you know, a lot, the rules on pedo have gotten really strict, I would say in like the last five years, but there are a lot of the people that are grandfathered, if you will, under the AAPD. So I actually worked for four years, um, with a private practice in the same small town who was the very high up at the pediatric dental residency here. And it was hard to commit to a residency knowing that my husband was moving every couple of years. And so he really taught me and I was able to get credentials at the hospital in the small town. I was able to do pediatric sedations. I was able to kind of do all the things that a pedo could do. And then about two or three years into that, they made the laws, but they grandfathered. So because I've had hospital privileges and done an office GA prior to the rules, they let me continue. So I'm not a board certified pediatric dentist, but I've worked in a pedo setting for eight years now. And so it's a little, you know, different. I say I'm a peds dentist, not a pedo, because I don't want to like blur the lines, but it's, it's fun to, I do all the general there too. So I take out like wisdom teeth and, you know, it gives me a little bit of flexibility, but not a formally trained pediatric dentist. Okay. That is very interesting. I didn't know that that was something that happened. Yeah. There's a lot of us that do, I mean, sedations, GA, like we can do it all because we already had the credentials. And so it was like everybody coming out. The only thing that we had to do to maintain it is the sedation sedation inspection by the Texas board. So they came in and they watched us do a sedation and they signed off on it and we keep our permits. That's great. I mean, I think about like how little experience you get with just like general dentistry in dental school. And then you go right into practicing. So it's like, if you're doing that for years and years and years of a specific thing, like you're obviously qualified. (laughs) Yes. Yes, for sure. So it's been fun. I love pedo. It's crazy. We call it the hornet's nest because it's just like kids everywhere some days, but it's it's a lot of fun. A lot of Disney movies playing very well (laughs) in the background. That is fun. So in your intro, you talk a bit about root medical translation. Can you give Mm -hmm. a background on the company, why you started it and just anything that you'd like us to know. Sure. So when I decided to go back to business school, it was the summer of 2020 when I began. And so COVID had just hit and, um, I knew that I kind of, we needed a project to work on in our team. And I was on the healthcare team. They kind of segmented us at McCombs. And so one day it was just a random Wednesday at one of my clinics and a new patient came and it was a three-year-old and a five-year-old boy. And we have on our website, a story that kind of highlights this entire, you know, foundational journey, but I'm going to kind of highlight some of it. So basically these two little boys needed a full mouth rehab and they needed to go to the OR. They were on medicaids that would have been covered. And the problem was that they spoke Mandarin. So no English. And they were there with their mother who owns the donut shop across the street. And so I called the language line and I called Texas Medicaid too, because they can help you to, you know, to get language services. And I found that it was going to be a three hour wait. 
to have somebody translate for me. So I kind of went in the room and I checked on them and the kids were like wild after 30 minutes. Like there was no way they were going to make it, you know, to three hours. And so I went in there and I did the best that I could, you know, a mixture of pointing at x-rays, Google translate. The kids wouldn't let me even like see them because I couldn't talk to them and they were so scared. Ultimately, they ended up signing the hospital consents, but they had no idea what they were signing. It was kind of the smile and nod. And the whole time it just felt wrong. You know, it felt like so, I felt trapped. I felt cuffed and I just couldn't help them. And these kids had, one of them needed 16 extractions. He was three and yeah, everything except for the four lower incisors, just abscess, had a facial swelling, tried to prescribe them antibiotics. Mom never went to the pharmacy because she didn't know. So that night I kind of left the office feeling a little uneasy about the whole experience. The next day I go in and the mom shows up with a box of donuts and she is sobbing hysterically. And she typed in her phone on the Google translate, begging me to, to be her doctor, begging me to see her, begging me to help her. And basically what we, what we figured out was that a simple mistranslation of somewhere else was understood as someone else. And this, this box of donuts was like a peace offering and a gift to try to make me not leave. And so that story combined with needing a a business venture to go into in business school led me thinking there has to be better solutions out there. Like we can't have these, you know, these limited English patients not have the same care. And so as I started to dive into the research in school, what we found was just, you know, the amount of malpractice, the amount of, you know, harm that comes from misunderstandings on a pharmacy level, on a hospital level, in a dental clinic. And so Root kind of was founded in June of 2020 as a way to try to bring solutions to equate care and make a better system. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like we encounter that at school and they try to tell us like, oh, it's fine. We have the phone translator system. But like you said, that doesn't necessarily work all the time or it's not sufficient. And what's happened is, you know, especially since COVID, the job market obviously has definitely declined. People are not working and these interpreters are not working. So these services have multiple listings for different languages. And so what they end up doing is basically getting somebody that doesn't speak the language on the phone to use Google Translate. And Google Translate is 57% accurate in medical translation. So um, the it's just, it needs to be better. It needs to be better. And so I, I really just threw myself into interviewing people and talking with doctors, talking with organizations that help um, you know, non-English speaking patients to try to give them better access to care. And basically what I discovered is that there is two different healthcare systems in America. And one is the English speaking and the other is the non-English speaking. The forms aren't there. The, I mean, from the time that they begin setting up an appointment to the time they're discharged, it's, it's scary and it's sad. It really is. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something necessary that you're creating. So that's very, very admirable. So (laughs) hats off to you. That's awesome. It's exciting. It's also exhausting, but it's very fun. I'm sure. I'm sure it's challenging, but when it all comes together, it's going to make a really big difference for people. So that's awesome. Yeah. We're excited. So what's the timeline for this company? Have you tried moving it into like school clinics? Cause I was saying how, like we use a phone translator system. Like how are you hoping to implement it in dentistry? It's a great question. Initially when we began with root, we were only focusing solely on dentists because me being a dentist, I felt like 
that was going to be the best space to kind of roll it out and beta test it. And as it's been in this software engineering development environment, it's definitely expanded to um, not just dental practices, but hospital systems, pharmacies. We've been talking with a lot of different companies, different one hospital system and one um, large retail pharmacy system to get this implemented. Root is working really, really well in the development environment. We don't want to roll it out until we really have it good. We don't want to release another bad product on the market. So regarding the user experience and user interface, it's not something that I can really talk about yet because it's a lot of proprietary information, but we are hoping that late this summer, it's going to be in a spot. We have a lot of software engineers that are currently working on this and we continue to cycle through, do more interviews and, and really try to like make it better. So what I can say is that we have managed to create really simple, no download, device agnostic, instant solution to translation problems that occur in the healthcare space. Currently, we are sitting at 91 languages that we have, um, you know, put into the to the translation, and we're also building a backend peer review network so doctors and providers who speak other languages can go to contribute to help kind of build this accurate glossary, since we know that Google is only 57% accurate. Um, after 18 months, we've really tried to eliminate the choke points and prohibit, you know, using the same things that cause problems with the current market solution. So we've played with pretty much every, you know, translation device that's out there and spoken with a lot of doctors. And so I think that probably by, let's say, July or August, we're going to be able to roll out a product and start testing it in a beta environment. That's great. I mean, I'm excited for that day and when it can be all in all settings, not just beta, like fully working. Betas, we're thinking six months for beta is what we're yeah. currently talking with our retail partners and our hospital. We've got some some people that we got our eye on to roll it out and it's a big system. So yeah. hopefully by January, I would say, you know, we can, we'll have it bug free and have it ready to roll out to, to you know, the entire market space. Yeah, that would be incredible. I mean, I like our training at the school for like the phone translator system was mm-hmm. so strange. Like they put us in like groups of three and then like a fourth year student and they pulled us over and they're like, okay, who in this group speaks another language? And like, they're just assuming that hopefully someone did. And then we could like call them on the phone and like oh, that person wow. could speak the language as if they were a patient. And then we could be on the other line and like doing the translating between each other. And it's like, what if no one did? Like it wasn't even a f- valid training, let alone way <laughs> yeah. to like, test if the ser- service works. So I have you ever had to use it? I haven't had patients yet. I'll oh, start that's saying true. That's so true. I I've had um, some patients that are deaf that I've assisted. So I've had like the mm-hmm. ASL interpreters on like an iPad, but I have yep. not had the phone interpreters yet. So so ASL is actually really fascinating and it's a little off topic, but um, it's not something that we are addressing yet. It's a really challenging thing to do on an iPad. We've learned that ASL is very three-dimensional and so it, putting it on a two-dimensional screen is very challenging, but my red patient, my red perio patient was deaf and we literally hung a whiteboard around her neck and I wrote everything out, you know, because you communicate with the graders in the back. And I mean, I kind of wish I would have thought about it then, but I mean, I was stressed obviously from Reb, but that was how we did it was we hung a whiteboard on a rope around her neck and they would like, literally, I would write everything down because she couldn't speak. Wow, they didn't have, they had no interpreter service for her in the back when she went back there to get graded. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We, I have a 
classmate. He's a D3 and he's deaf, a dental student. That's so awesome. Yeah, I know. He's great. Um, He's really involved in like ASDA with me as well and stuff. And he's trying to get more um, progress going through with the ADA and everything. So he's an amazing person. But um, the school provides interpreters for him for all of his appointments and for like the club meetings and everything. So moving in good directions in the profession. So it's awesome. Is it a, is it in person? Does somebody stay there with him? Yeah. Yeah. They're in the cubicle with him for patient appointments. And he has like the mask with like clear around the mouth so they can like, wow, that's yeah. good for Michigan. That's yeah. really, really, that makes my, that fills my heart with joy. That makes me really happy. Good for him. Yeah. Sorry. We, you know, we got off topic there, but, um, that's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Makes me, proud. <laughs> me too. Honestly. So I can see that you're obviously very busy with creating this whole new platform. And you kind of mentioned that you split your time between family, clinical business, but can you talk some more about that? Yeah. So let's see, prior to COVID, I had been out for eight years and I was feeling before COVID hit, I did not feel like I was stressed, but when offices closed for three months, and I was just home, I really kind of retrospectively realized, man, like I'm not balancing well. I'm not managing my life well. It was not great. My husband is gone a lot being that he's active duty military. So it was really challenging to manage clinical work, my startups. I was in business school, getting my master's and being a mom. So when we came back and the offices opened in May, I decided to go part-time. So I went down to working three days a week and that was amazing. That was really, really, really nice. It's a slippery slope though, because that quickly becomes less and less when you start cutting your days. But after graduating business school, I kind of decided that I really wanted to, you know, it's one of those where you have to kind of boss up, like, am I going to be clinical or am I going to really try to make a difference and go for something that's a risk? And so I decided like, we're going to do this. So I actually sold my practice, um, in 2021 And I went down to six days a month. So working one to two days a week and I cut my daily hours instead of ending at five, I ended at three 30. So big changes from a professional standpoint to try to kind of make my life a little bit better balanced. And I found that that was the sweet spot. So I don't think I ever see myself getting out of patient care completely. The, the days that I go in now that I work less, I'm not dreading as much and I'm not fatigued from it. It's like, oh my gosh, I get to go see my patients today. And they have been great. They're very loyal patients. They don't care that I cut my hours or my days, they wait. And so it's made me feel really good and make me want to go help them because of the loyalty that they have. Definitely appreciate my clinic days more now that I don't do it as much. Um, I would say that right now my startup is taking about 20 hours a week. I have a couple other projects that I, I feel like startups are like an amoeba, like a spider web. Like they, you do one, but then you get involved in like 15 others. And so I would say that my big one is taking about 20 hours a week currently. And I think that once it hits the market, it's probably going to be 40 hours a week. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see what I decide to do from a clinical practice level, because I'm not really here for working 60 hour weeks, but the work-life balance, it took me 10 years to kind of figure out what the cadence was that was going to lead to personal and professional satisfaction. And I think it takes time to find what works. And I know that everybody is different, but finding that rhythm is so important. And I cannot stress enough to new grads to focus on this. It is so challenging when you come out and you're making money for the first time in your life to 
not make that be the top priority. You have a mortgage and you have student loans, but I was working, like I said, six days a week and I was working eight hours a day and I was seeing about 80 to hundred patients a day. And that was a lot. And so I really hope that I feel like the new generation is just better in general about mental health. That wasn't really a thing that was around 15 years ago when I went to dental school, but take the time to really like introspectively decide like what is going to be the best for your career and find that balance because it gets really challenging. The waters get murky for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that because I always, not always, but I bring that up to my boyfriend sometimes. I'm like, man, I'm like scared to start working because I'm such a go-getter personality that I feel like I'm going to become this like crazy workaholic and just get like, you will start putting my satisfaction from like my work performance. And like, just cause it's, it's so tangible, like work more, earn more. And it's like, you have to draw a line at some point though. And I think that's going to be challenging to like adjust my mindset. You know, one of the things that's really kind of become like so clear and apparent in like the dental field versus the business field is in the business field, you're kind of paid a salary. So like, let's say you're going to make X amount of dollars. And so the work is not incentivized because I'm not going to want to work. I'm going to get paid kind of like no matter what I do, but in dental, every day that you're there, every patient that you see, every procedure that you do is more money. And so it's, there's just this, you're right. Like you get in a trap and you go in a hole and it becomes your sole focus and that becomes your identity. And that's, when all of a sudden you wake up, you know, they say now that, uh, what do they say? Like an experienced dentist is five years. It's like when you're become like not a new dentist anymore. And, you know, all of a sudden you wake up one morning at year seven and you're like, man, like I've lost myself in this whole thing. I don't do the things that I love anymore. I'm not Haley. I'm Dr. Schultz. And that really like you have to preserve and protect Haley because it's really important. And it's so hard because of the fact that every little thing that you do, every oh no, I'll add on that crown at six o'clock. Like it's fine. Those things build over time and it can become really stressful and a little bit toxic. It really can. Yeah. And I hope at least because I'm aware of all of that, I can like check in with myself and set those boundaries and everything. And I think I'm also the type to have, like you said, like different projects going on and things. So Mm -hmm. maybe I won't be fully clinical focused all the time. So maybe it won't be so bad or maybe I'll have even more on my plate. I don't really know. Like I said, I mean, 15 years ago when I entered at Baylor mental health and was not something that was really talked about. And so I think you have done an amazing job between your ASDA work and your podcast and your blogging and your social media has really created an outlet too. I see so many dentists on TikTok who have really made that kind of part of their identity And it's nice to have an identity outside of being Dr. Schultz. Like it really, really, really is, it's fun and it's important. And I think you're on a really good track to maintain and like preserve that with, with the extra projects that you're doing. Well, thank you. And you're a great mentor for that. A great model of trying to find balance with everything. Have you, I mean, I feel like that's a big struggle for people in women in dentistry is finding mentors that. Mm-hmm. That they can look to, especially if they do have a family. Have yep. you found a way to find guidance like that? Or are you just really paving your own way? Do you feel? That's a great question. I, you know, one of the things that happens that is the hardest transition as a new grad that I feel like a lot of people don't address is you spend four years in this bubble where you have 
you know, your professors and you have your classmates and you're safe. And like for me and my best friend who was my roommate in dental school, we moved to small towns and we were the only doctor in the office and it instantly became very lonely. And social media from like a dental perspective with all the dental groups wasn't there. It wasn't something, you know, that, that was being done. And so I went from, my husband was a surgical intern. That was not fun. I became incredibly lonely. And, you know, looking back, I don't know that it was depression, but it was a very lonely space. You're the only one you're working with high school educated assistants. And that is the only people that you interact with. I really enjoy now working in a multi-doctor practice that I feel like is where I get my mentorship. We have a group um, of 17 between pedo and ortho. We are all moms and we are fully women, which is really fun. So I've worked, you know, in this group, particularly for six years. And so I think it was at that point where I became, you know, wow, they're like me and like, you can have your village. And so when a kid is sick, one of us will go in and cover, we all work three to four days a week. And and it's this rotating, there's a lot of opportunities to take time off. And so I found a really healthy environment in my work environment. Now I'm not as active in CE as I should be or study clubs. But, um, I think that between social media and the group that I'm in now, and then going to business school and meeting a lot of CEOs, being at Wharton has been incredible. I have always wanted, I'm a first generation Hispanic immigrant um, first to go and get big degrees. And so I've always wanted to go to an Ivy league school. And so that's been a different level of mentorship to kind of get the business that I never had before. But, um, I think, you know, maintain that circle, talk to your classmates. If you're alone in the practice, it gets really lonely and all the stress is on you. And when I went to train with that doctor for four years, who was a, the pedo instructor, I got a lot of mentorship. I worked every day with three pediatric dentists and they were there when I did my first couple, you know, general anesthesia cases. And it's really important. I don't do as good of a job receiving mentorship as I feel like I do giving mentorship. I'm almost 40. I'm old. I'm usually the mom of the group. Um, if you will, we have a team of 17 software engineers and their kids, they're like 18 so they call me mama hole and I buy them food. And, um, when you talk about mentorship a little bit off topic, but, um, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing a lot and very frequently is that I go down to Laredo. I worked in Laredo for years on the border doing hospital cases, as well as we have a clinic down there. That's a pedo clinic. And, um, being that I'm first generation, it was really interesting to meet people that didn't speak English, which was great to be able to communicate with them. And they loved that they had a doctor that was female and that could talk with them. So every year I go to the Laredo independent school district and the United, um, United independent school district, which are the two ones down there. And I speak to an entire room of middle school and high school females. And I encourage them, you know, you can have, you know, single, I was a single mom, only child. I've been working since I was nine didn't have money, grew up in the system, um, you know, if you will. And so it's really fun to be a role model to those girls, because I think when a doctor comes and speaks to them, they don't, they can't relate to, that's a different person. Well, they grew up with two parents and they grew up with parents who were doctors. And so, you know, it's so easy and I've really enjoyed being able to motivate. I stay in contact with a lot of them and I help them with like college applications and I feel like being able to outreach to people that you can connect with and young girls, it's so important to set an example. I have a daughter. I set that example for her. And I think when you're older and you've accomplished things, it's really fun to be able to inspire people 
who look up to you and relate to you. I mean, they don't have anybody that can come talk to them that grew up on Medicaid and was had a single mom and cleaned houses and did all this stuff. And so they're like, wow, that's me. And so that's been a really, really fun thing. I've done that, I guess, since 2017. So a couple of years now, and it's probably one of the, my favorite things that I do every year. That is amazing. And I think mentorship is such a domino effect. Like even mm-hmm. if it was hard for you growing up to find someone that resembled you that was a dentist, but now these girls have you to look up to and they're going to kind of pay it forward as they go throughout mm-hmm. their careers and everything. So it is really special. And I think it's only going to keep improving for females and male dominated careers and everything. We are now a female dominated field, which makes me so happy. (laughs) And I love that I work with a group of moms and females. And I think that it's a special place to be able to be a woman in a field and, you know, get respect because I would say that 10 years ago when I came out, it 10 years doesn't seem like a lot of time, but think of all the changes like socially that have happened And I used to have in that small town, I had so many people who wouldn't see me because I was a female and we've come so far. And so like girl power, it was, it's been fun to see the change that's happened within this profession. Yeah. I had a general dentist come in and talk to us. Who's in like a pretty big group practice, males, Mm -hmm. females, all different ages that have been there and families will come in and this is a female dentist. They'll say, Oh, like, yeah, my kids will see you, but I want to see Dr. Mm-hmm. So-and-so the man, like they, cause they associate yep. women with being like nurturing and caring, but they want, oh, like the strong, smart <laughs> man. So there's definitely still lots of stigmas we need to work through, but it's getting it's better. Gotten, it is getting better. Like we, so we actually, in the beginning, we had a stress in like business attire because when you're in an office full of assistants, you look like an assistant, right? And so I would go and do an exam and they would be like, when am I seeing the doctor? And I'm thinking, we just, we just saw the doctor. And so after COVID we wear scrubs. And so many times I just like blend into the background of like the, the craziness that happens. But, um, I don't, I can say that, I mean, I, I rarely get those comments now. I never get anybody. I, I would say that most people prefer to have a female dentist see their kids. So it's, it's really fun to see what's happened with this profession in that direction. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I feel like you've already give gave in gave a lot of (laughs) good advice for dental students, but is there anything in particular that you wish you did sooner as like a new grad or a dental student? That is a great question. Um, I'm sure, I mean, there is a long list of like traditional answers that we could go in, but I'm going to like go off the grid here a little bit. So like we kind of talked about earlier, it's so easy to get involved and caught up in the day-to-day patient and staff issues. It's so hard to manage you know, let's say a general office has maybe 35 to 50 patients, but also manage the front desk, the, the, the staff, everything that comes along with it. It's, it's a lot. And so between seeing a full schedule and managing a team, the focus seems to really be on everyone, but you. So kind of what I spoke on earlier in retrospect, I wish that I would have taken the time to not only take care of everybody else, but take care of myself. Dentistry is so like mentally taxing, but it's really physically hard. And so it's not a secret that dentistry has a really high burnout rate, but sadly it has a very large suicide rate. And that just comes along with the profession. And so what I would say to new grads and what I wish that I did differently, again, I didn't realize this until year 10 is to take care of your mind and to treat your body really well, work out, eat right. Cause your back and your neck and your wrists will hurt travel, do the things that you love, 
take a mental health day, whatever it is like that you need to ensure that you're taken care of, do it. Because the reality is that the patients and the staff are not going to take care of you. And if you don't make yourself a priority by year 10, you're not going to want to go in that office. And I really wish that I would have known this and, you know, don't be afraid to be a Simone Biles and just say like, I'm taking next Wednesday off because there's a pyramid that occurs in an office between the dentist at the top, staff, patients, and the whole office is only as strong as the person at the top. And when you're burned out and you come in with a bad attitude and you're miserable to be there, it, it really trickles down and it really can alter the experience of the patient. And, and also like sometimes, you know, endanger the patient. Cause you're just, you're not, you don't want to be there. So honestly, take care of yourself. I know that sounds like very generic, but working out, taking care of your back, preserve the back, um, and just taking care of yourself. Like don't, Dentistry, I think, can be a great field, but it can also be incredibly toxic if you don't manage it the right way. Yeah, I I appreciate all that advice. It's exactly what you were saying. Like people years ago didn't hear that enough as a dental student. No. I feel like I'm so lucky, especially with this podcast, to connect with people always reminding me of that. So it's something that I try to practice good habits now that way hopefully I can carry them into like the work life and it's funny when you talked about your back I like instantly sat up straighter I'm like oh no I'm hunching (laughs) so today this morning actually I had um a steroid injection in my lower back and my root like all of my friends it's always something it's like a neck or like it is very physical you don't realize patients can't lean back you're having to get up and you know lean over kids you're papoosing them and like you know crunching over it's you will be walking like Quasimodo, but I will say that like, if you would have asked me at year six or seven, like Jen, are you burned out? I probably would have said no. I, I am so glad that this is something that's becoming talked about because it was not talked about. And, you know, I wasn't immersed in that culture and it really took me COVID to kind of pull me out of it, but <clears throat> yeah, do that. It's, it's so important. And if I had to say like what my biggest challenge was coming out, I mean, the dentistry, you feel like you're on an island alone and you think, you know, but you literally have no idea. And every x-ray you're texting to groups and being like, oh my God, is that a crown or an MOD? And, um, but my biggest surprise was actually how unprepared and the lack of knowledge I had for anything business or insurance related. And you are the one that they ask and you're just like, you're sitting in there like, I I don't know. And so I'm going to tell you right now that my biochemistry degree did not prepare me for what was happening between owning a practice, billing, charting, running a team. That's another aspect. I mean, leadership is huge. You have to know how to lead the team, but you also need to know how to lead your patients, how to sell treatment. We're not car salesmen, but you need to create an environment of trust in order to get that case acceptance. And that's hard when you have patients waiting on you and you're behind and your back hurts and you're hungry. And there's so many factors. So I took, I like, I took some time to read some leadership books. My husband's in the military. He went to West Point. So he's got some really good pointers. And that's something I feel like that you just have to do in order to get better. Like the more that you do it, the better that you get, but man, I really felt like I was ready. And that first day I was like, Oh, I'm not ready. And I had nobody else there. And they're like, Dr. Hole, what do you want to do about this? I'm like, I mean, we're good. Like to do whatever, you know? So business, not prepared for that at all. 
Yeah, that leads really well into my next question, which was, is there any resources you recommend for students to check out like CE books, podcasts, anything? It could be business, dental, self-improvement. So I think on this topic, I'm going to say two things. Okay. So the first one, it is so shocking the amount of clinical and practice operational knowledge that I get from the Facebook groups. I'm old school. I'm on Facebook. I know a lot of the new generation is like Snapchat and TikTok, but I would say like, get on Facebook and join these groups. Dennis posts stuff that is insane. And some of these groups have 30, 40,000 dentists. There's international ones where you see some crazy cases. And I like them because you have to get verified with your license, you know, to be able to come in. And I think some allow students, but there are a lot that are dental specific, no hygienists, no dental students. And those are really the ones where you see the oral surgeons, you see endo, you see perio, you see pedo, people comment hundreds of comments. And so I really would encourage that if you haven't created a Facebook to do it, if you haven't reached out to join these groups, do it. If anybody that's listening wants some recommendations on some that I really feel like clinically and practice operational side, I've really gotten a lot of knowledge. Like feel free to like DM me or text me or email me. And I'd be more than happy to, uh, to give you the list, but it's, I have learned more from Facebook groups than I have ever learned from a textbook. I don't do CE. I probably do like my AAPD and my TAPD meetings and go to Hawaii and have fun, um, and do some courses that I need to do for my license. But man, these Facebook groups are crazy. It's a lot. Secondly, what I would say is there is nothing that replaces being in the mouth. There is nothing that you can learn from CE or, you know, a textbook or a podcast. You just got to be in there. And so shadow people, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Just go and learn. And I have been on three mission trips. I didn't do them until later in my career. I think I started in 2018. We go to Jamaica for a week. I see about 300 patients. We do extractions with no x-rays, no lights, no sterile, and no AC. And um, we go out into, we stay in Montego Bay. We go out to really resort or resort. We stay at the resort. We go out into remote areas. And um, I really wish I would have done that earlier in my career. It was something that I wanted to do, but never really prioritized. And you just kind of feel like the practice limitations are lifted, you know, you, and you really have to think outside the box with no x-rays. You don't have the instruments that you need. And there's a lot of veteran dentists there who are there to teach and the patients are good patients. You know, they're just grateful. So I would say find ways to just get in the mouth, whatever that is. And mission trips have become one of my passions and they're so fun, but you know, that's not for everybody, but find somebody go spend a day of the week in an oral surgery practice ask questions, get your hands dirty, go and assist. You know, there's really nothing that could replace that. You're not going to learn it in a textbook and then be able to apply it. Yeah. I think for clinical, especially, I agree with that. With the business, I think there's so many resources now that like, it shocks me if people aren't like using them. Like I have mm-hmm. a lot of like the dental business Facebook groups and I agree. I've learned a lot. Sometimes so much. Yeah. Like the clinical ones that let students in, I think I'm only in like one or two. Cause like Mm -hmm. you said, you usually do need like your license and everything to verify it, but the business ones are usually very accepting of students. And I've learned a lot just from those. So it's been cool. It's, I, I mean, I don't, I, I think I started by, you know, joining like one or two. And then I think I probably belong to like 15. I'll say the international ones 
like DM me. I can't think of the names off the top of my head. They allow students in the cases that they post with like the panos, the clinical x-rays, having, you know, U.S. oral surgeons. I'm just like, is that real? I mean, it will blow your mind. And I've been able to see a couple kids that have had some situations that have been on Facebook in the past. I don't post cases myself, but I'm like, oh, you know what? I remember that. And this is what I need to do. And so it really kind of sticks with you. So yeah, join them. I'll send you a list, but it's, it's the most educational avenue for, for new grads for sure. So everything we've talked about has been great. You've answered a lot of my questions, but do you have any final words of wisdom for new dentists, dentists, dental students listening? Yeah. So with you, I'm going to talk about you for a second. Um, when I found your Instagram, I got really excited because I was like, man, this girl is just, she's doing it right. Like she's not just doing dental school. And like we, like we touched on earlier, that's so important. So we talked about taking care of yourself to kind of like limit burnout, but I want to talk a little bit just about like your professional life as a dentist. And my biggest advice to new grads and students would be to not limit yourself. You are a great leader in that space. Follow Haley. She's, she's really cool to watch, but I think that doctors spend a majority of their time helping patients in the office face-to-face, but the reality is that there's so many opportunities to make an impact outside of the office. So like in my mind, dentistry doesn't end in the office. That's honestly where it begins. So I don't want new grads to think that like this degree is the last time you're going to push yourself and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I walked into the number one and the number three business school in the country, not knowing any, I had never taken an accounting class. It was terrifying, but I instantly got comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is something that you're going to experience and all new grads, or excuse me, all dental students are going to experience when they go into clinic for the first time and you have to drill a real tooth. Your hands are going to be like shaking. Um, so get comfortable with being uncomfortable, not just in the clinic, but outside. Don't let yourself get trapped in the box. So I would say, learn about the problems in the healthcare systems as a whole, the, every aspect of the office and recognize pain points and like take notes on your notes app and think of solutions. So I tell people that like cool technology that we have and products like Isolite, which is, I won't work without one. They don't come from business people. They just don't. They come from the dentists who live it every day and they know the choke points. Like if you look at all the cool products that we get to use, guess who they were invented by? And so I definitely encourage take a few years to get like settled in the clinic because it's really, really stressful. But after that, expand your mind. For me, it's been really enjoyable to push myself out of my comfort zone and to learn other ways to make a difference as a doctor because you have this degree, but it applies and it's applicable to so many different areas. So since graduating, I mean, I've gotten a business degree, getting a finance degree, I've done software, I've patented a pus drain, and I worked a lot of years as a business development for a large DSO and a private equity firm in the healthcare space. So there's a lot of ways that you can immerse yourself into healthcare and that really decreases burnout. So it's really contributed to like my provider fatigue. Um, so if you want to stay excited about it, find ways to make a difference in the total system space, push yourself, the clinical aspect at by year three, it'll be business as usual. And that's when the burnout starts. So I know that everybody that's coming out of these schools are amazing and they're smart, but let that reach people outside of the office. Like entrepreneurship is really fun and don't be afraid to dabble in it. Expand outside the box. Don't be afraid to make a difference. If anybody has any questions about 
startups, entrepreneurship business. I love talking about that. So I would love to have a conversation. They can hit me up. Um, but it's, you know, make, you have, you are so blessed and gifted to have an opportunity to make an impact in people's lives in so many ways, not just clinically. Yeah. I love that. It was very motivating. <laughs> I, I definitely feel, I have no clue what it is. I definitely feel a call to do something other than clinical dentistry as well at some point. So we'll see when the idea strikes, but <laughs> I'm always open to ideas coming in and out of my mind. <laughs> You're definitely a leader in this space. And I've, once I found, I don't even know how I found you, but I have now followed a couple other content creators that are in dental school. And it's so fun. It reminds me of back when I was in school, there is going to be that three-year period where like, there is no bandwidth to focus on anything else, but take notes. Like the, the isolate was invented by somebody that was just like, this is so frustrating to prep a crown on 18 and I can't get back there because of the tongue, right? Take a note on that. And when you have bandwidth, like, think about it, like what would be awesome for this? And just push yourself, think of other ways. And I think that that will keep the provider fatigue low and make you really enjoy this degree that encompasses so much of the like business and medical ecosystem. Definitely. Definitely. So what's the best way for people to contact you if they do have questions or anything or want to chat? So that's a great question. Um, if you want to learn more about room medical translation, you can visit our website at www www.roottranslator.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram um, at, at Root Translator or Facebook at Root Medical Translation. So every month on our website, I release a blog or an interview. We kind of switch back and forth that highlights topics surrounding healthcare inequities and also discusses interviews that I've done with people in the translation ecosystem. And so they're really fun to kind of read and like see what's going on in that space. If you have personal stories about translation struggles yourself, or if you're an international dentist that's multilingual, wants to get involved, you have questions about Facebook groups or entrepreneurship, you can also contact me directly via email at drjenhole at roottranslator.com. And when I reply back, it'll have my cell phone number on there. You can also DM me on Instagram. It's at dr.jhole. And um, I would love to speak to anybody that has questions that just has that tiny little itch thinking like, I love dentistry, but like, I want to learn a little bit more about entrepreneurship, startups, and business. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time and like allowing me to share my story. It's a big problem. And it's something that's not very like glamorous to talk about, but it's real. And so I just think, you know, what you're doing is amazing. And I appreciate you letting me come on and talk and, and just tell my story. It's been fun. Oh, well, same to you. I mean, I think everything you're doing is amazing. So I'm more impressed with you, but um, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, for sure.